The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Like the intro says, this is a Sports Ethos presentation. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Online, SportsEthos.com. Pretty simple. Make sure that you do it. Also, while you're at it, listeners, please take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. The single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Follow now. Got a little special show for you today on Ramble Ramble. I teamed up with my good friend, constant collaborator, Josh Earl. You can find him on Twitter at... To Red J Earl. Also, check out Contextual Scouting, his baby. It's really, really cool. The deep dive into scouting from a contextual perspective. It's all about it. Definitely make sure to check that out. But he and I went into a deep dive on the general manager career of Joe Dumars. We pulled out some of the greater themes, some of the team building concepts that he constantly employed, some of his greatest hits, some of his uh, deepest falls, all of that. And I think we cobbled together a really interesting analysis of his um, career. Something I really think you all should look into. So that's going to be playing here in just a second. Definitely make sure to give Josh and myself all the love and feedback y'all want. We greatly appreciate it, but we really think from a basketball GM analysis perspective, team building perspective, basketball historian junkies perspective, this scratches all those itches. Absolutely. So Definitely looking forward to any feedback on that. Um, Also, just on the regular NBA front, we are into our last week of NBA action. There are no games tonight on account of the national championship, but we have a full slate of games Tuesday. Uh, I'll break those, or not break those down, but kind of go into those. We have a big Lakers-Suns game Tuesday night. The Suns could win, um, clinch their franchise record in wins and knock the Lakers out the play-in tournament altogether. We're not going to talk about that. The Lakers did lose today to the Denver Nuggets, 129-118, behind a casual 38 points with 18 rebounds and 6 assists from Nikhil Jokic. That was monstrous. He's proven that he is, in fact, the MVP. He's definitely knocked that sense into me. I was really on uh, Joel Embiid's book, and I still am a big Joel Embiid fan. For example, the 76ers beat the Cavs today, 112, or yesterday rather, 112 to 108. Embiid just threw together a casual 44 points, 17 rebounds, and 3 assists, while James Harden had a 21 point triple double with 10 boards and 10 assists. Uh, 11 points from Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris as well. Spurs blew past the Blazers, 113 to 92. The Heat beat the Raptors in Kyle Lowry's return to Toronto, 114-109. to And the Thunder blew out the Suns, I already mentioned, 117-96. That was a crazy game, but it was a game that happened. Uh, other news, Mavericks beat the Bucks in a fun one, 118-112. Pistons beat the Pacers, 121-117. And the Knicks crushed the Magic by 30 points. But, yeah, um, 
Lakers have a big game Tuesday night. That's going to be important. There's going to be a few games seeding-wise uh, for teams, whether they're trying to avoid the play-in, whether they're trying to, you know, maintain positioning where they are in the upper uh, echelons of the safe spaces between one and six. So uh, a few games Tuesday that we'll go into. We'll also talk some draft stuff with the fallout of the national championship game. Definitely excited to break that down. But here, without further ado, is my conversation with Josh Earl breaking down the full career as a general manager of one Joe Dumar. So sit back, enjoy, and until tomorrow, y'all, I am Frosty, y'all stay Frosty, and we'll talk then. All right, stay tuned for our conversation. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. And, uh, you know, we, we had fun with the Isaiah Thomas one. Yeah. So we had we had to go. We had to keep the train rolling and go with his backcourt Hall of Fame partner, Joe Dumars, and his uh, time with the Detroit Pistons, which was the definition of a mixed bag. (laughs) Yes, it definitely was. And, like, just zooming out before we dive in on different themes, Joe Dumars was the Pistons GM for 14 years, just shy of 14 years, 13 and some change, from June 6th, 2000 to April 14th, 2014. He also had a very, very short stint with the Kings. We didn't even really dive into that from August 14th to September 17th, 2020. I mean, that's a month and of, of a dead time. So not a whole lot to go into there, mostly for Joe Dumars there in Sacramento. But the majority of his time was those 13 and some change with the Detroit Pistons. And so, like you said, um, Josh, we're going to talk about it here. He had a stretch of success. We And you mentioned this to begin with. Six-year stretch with Dumars at the helm where Detroit reached the finals or reached uh, four conference finals, two NBA finals. They took home one, um, the franchise's third in 2004. That's right next to their 89 and 90 championships. He had that as well. Um, but during that stretch, really highly successful run. Um, right there in the midst of his entire overall tenure. So, uh, I mean, let's kind of talk about this and, and some themes that we have. I mean, Josh, you went deep on this. What was kind of the first thing that you kind of saw looking at the career of Joe Dumas? Well, the, the really interesting thing is just how different the, the eras of the Pistons under Joe Dumas were. Because like you said, you, you had that – um, like six straight Eastern Conference Finals with the new Bad Boy Pistons with Big Ben, Sheed, Tayshon, Chauncey, and Rip, and you know that that core and that that team having so much success and winning the the ring in '04, taking the Spurs to seven games in '05, uh, and then as, as the the core kind of started to age out. Joe really seemed to get interested in free agency. And and so you start seeing all these moves to free up uh, cap space that, uh, you know, don't necessarily help the team right now, just kind of cap space maneuvers. And then he uses that cap space on, and no disrespect to any of these guys, but on Ben Gordon, Charlie Villanueva and Josh Smith, respectively. Um, and it, it, it's just an interesting pivot kind of mid uh, Pistons front office career. And, and it, it's one of those things that's always confused me, him and somebody we're going to cover eventually in this series uh, mentioned the Sacramento Kings earlier, Jeff Petrie, uh, but him and Jeff Petrie are the two GMs who 
both built one of my favorite teams I've ever seen mm. and simultaneously just like crashed head first yes, <laughs> at, yeah. at like 150 miles into the wall uh, after those teams kind of started to slow down. Absolutely. So, <laughs> it's a, again, mixed bag. <laughs> it 100% is. I like that you brought that up. I can't wait to dive into Petrie as well. Just like you said, because you have these executives who make these inspired, it seems, moves that build up an identity of a team that is successful, iconic, all that you're looking for. But it somehow seems that maybe due to drafting issues, you know, free agency, miss signings, whatever the case may be, that that same lightning in a bottle that made that happen, or let's say those same moves seem more like lightning in a bottle than the actual um, methodology of, okay, this is how I want to build a team. This is how I want to construct this happening. It's okay, we did this, it worked amazing. Now let's try it again with two players who really don't fit that, but we're going to try to shoehorn them in. Um, and try to make that work. So I'm definitely with you there. I was thinking, let's start. I mean, if we're going to kind of dive in, draw some themes, let's start building of this. We could do like the building of the championship roster as one kind of block, mm-hmm. the cultivating of said roster as another block, and then the ultimate fallout decline from there. Um, so starting, you know, how you put again, very detailed list here. Uh, yeah, I'm not sharing the notes with y'all, but like, yeah, I would kill if y'all really basketball junk to see just how this is laid out here by my guy, Josh. But starting off um, with the Pistons in 2000, Joe Dumars taking over. Remember, he had just come off a 14-year career, drafted by the Pistons 85, retired in 99. Now he's at the helm in 2000. Many of the guys he played with are still mm-hmm. on this team. And he immediately starts restructuring it. Josh, I throw it to you. I would say the restructure wasn't necessarily his choice uh, because (laughs) right when he takes over, uh, well, I guess a a couple of months after he takes over, uh, Grant Hill signs with the Orlando Magic, or at least agrees to sign with the Orlando Magic. And to Joe's credit, he worked out a sign and trade deal with the Magic that brought back uh, Chucky Atkins mm-hmm. and a uh, relatively unknown big, uh, undersized big, uh, with a lot of energy uh, and and uh, like small ass muscles and, <laughs> and, and and occasionally a pretty nice fro uh, named Ben Wallace. And uh, again, his arm was kind of twisted here. Grant could have signed with Orlando just flat out. Uh, but he managed to turn that into the first piece of what became that championship core. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's weird because looking at that in and of a nutshell, I'm not, I'm not overall like blown away from that. You know what I mean? Like I imagine even then, like, yeah, you got something back for Grant. He was already going to go. And you even said he could have signed out. Right. So it's almost like, that's not a perfect balance. That's not a perfect analogy, but think back in 2020 um, with um, Kevin Durant. Yep. You know, um, you know, he, was, he could have just gone to Brooklyn anyway. It was a way to get something back where he goes to Brooklyn, the Golden State Warriors get D'Angelo Russell. Like on paper, they never look good. The, 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 the looking at it now, two years later, it still doesn't look good. But like in the moment, well, I mean, I well, guess if you look at it, from why like do the, you besmirch all-star Andrew Wiggins, who my was fault. begat by D'Angelo by by Russell? If I follow yeah. the NBA trade train, excuse me, I yeah, should remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You follow the NBA trade train, I guess it does look good. One for one. <laughs> Damn. 
but like <laughs> it's similar there where you're right like your two-piece chuck yakins i remember being like an undersized guard but scrappy could definitely mm-hmm. was one of those gunners who shot the three really well had a had an electric gear with the lakers i'll never forget that 2000 now five 2004 2005 season that's when i became a lakers fan that's all we had him chuck yakins lamar odom uh obviously kobe um but anyway you get him at the time you get ben wallace who ends up becoming a a big part of this of foundation of this team um that is you know having success just four years later or three years later really but what was the first theme that you identified from this initial move here josh uh well it it, it did kind of lead some and you see this later uh, particularly the next core piece that comes in and the the third core piece that comes in is that mm-hmm. it seems like joe in that moment decided to try to focus on a defensive first approach mm-hmm. um and that obviously harkens back to his own success with the bad boy pistons uh which you know him and isaiah and Vinny, the microwave Johnson, and, and you know, <laughs> uh, Mark Aguirre, they had some really talented scorers on there, but that was a defensive team first and foremost, um, really emphasizing the F on foremost. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, so I, I think it, it was an indication that he might lean a little towards what he was familiar with, which was kind of that defensive first mentality. Okay. And this was the initial step in that direction. Yes. All right. I get that. I would have to assume more of the same. I mean, at the time looking at it, it's like, wow, this is definitely interesting. Again, um, it's hard now, especially not even being a, like aware of basketball in that lens in the moment to go, what was he thinking acquiring that? But you look at Ben at the time, you know, young guy did have some potential there. Look at Chuck. Yeah, at least you knew kind of what he was. And there was always value for that type of player, um, at least from an offensive perspective, nothing else. Um, and Grant Hill, he'd been battling ankle injuries. You saw they get only worse in Orlando. Mm. That actually, unfortunately, dominated the almost entirety of his tenure in yeah. Orlando with Chase McGrady and everything there. So it ended up being for Detroit, given who Ben Wallace became, eventual Hall of Famer, like oh, yeah. it ended up becoming a masterclass of a trade where mm-hmm. – both parties get what they wanted, maybe not in the way they wanted it to be. Um, but Orlando wanted a superstar in Grand Hill. They got one, albeit one who was injury riddled. And, you know, Detroit wanted to start fresh with uh, a piece that could be a part of their future, possibly. And they got all that and then some with Ben Wallace. So I'm definitely with you on that. I guess this takes us to the draft. And we kind of have a few drafts here, all in a block. And I think this is a great time to kind of explore um, Joe Dumars's Joe Dumars draft kind of ideology hits and misses we both talked about this yeah show um but you had 2000 selecting mateen i'm just gonna read them out and then kind of dive in mateen cleaves with the first round and 14th pick then brian cardinal second round 44th then you had um 2001 rodney white first pick or ninth pick 2001 and then mamet okor second round 38th pick and then tayshaun prince in 2002 first round 23rd pick and and what we talked about um, and I want you to dive into this a little bit more here, uh, Josh, absolutely, is that it seemed, and this is going to be a reoccurring theme as we kind of move mm-hmm. on into this a little bit, that, as I wrote, shaky draft record with, for first round. I put Mateen Cleese. I put mm-hmm. Rodney White. Obviously, we have a big one, second overall in 2003 that we'll talk about. Who? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But mm-hmm. he was better late in the first round and in the second. Yeah. Um, Brian Cardinal. 
you know, uh, janitor, janitor, exactly. Yep. But really, a big man shoot the, space out the floor really well for that time. Decent rebounding, Mamel Core. Take that, multiply. I love <laughs> Okor. I <laughs> love Okor. So ahead of his time as a floor spacing mm-hmm. big man with a di- real height, rebounding good. Tayshawn Prince. Um, we'll talk about another guy in that kind of range a little bit later. Um, just after Prince in that same two three draft. So we'll talk about that. But uh, throwing it back to you, when you're looking at the draft record of um, Joe Dumar, especially so early. What were your thoughts, especially with some of the guys? That I'm not gonna lie, I told you, Cleves, Rodney, why I'm like, who? Yeah, yeah. Look at looking over all of his drafts. So even the ones past this current section that mm-hmm. we're looking at, uh, a few things seem to stand out. One, uh, he tended to target combo guards who were about six three and two hundred ish pounds, mm-hmm. which uh, wow. <laughs> if you look up Joe science. Dumars. On Basketball Reference, he was 6'3 and about 200-ish pounds when he was playing. (laughs) So Joe kind of, when it came to guards, looked for players that reminded him of himself. Um, When it came to wings, he seemed to prefer bigger wings. Uh, Rodney White was like uh, 6'8", 6'9", Tayshaun 6'9". Some of the other ones later on also a little taller. Uh, and then he, I wouldn't say he has a preference for them, but he also doesn't shy away whatsoever with undersized bigs. Okay. Like, uh, Mehmet Akur, obviously it's like six eleven. he's not undersized, but you'll see later on some of his draft selections of bigs. He, he really similar kind of vibe with Ben Wallace. Like as long as you can do what I need you to do, mm-hmm. I don't really care if you're not seven feet tall. Okay, just doing the, the the basic tenets. However, size we get that, can you rebound? Can you space? Okay, yep. so size wasn't really the biggest focus. Yeah, uh, and then the other thing is he seemed to have a preference for upperclassmen. Um, most of his draft picks uh, tended to be upperclassmen. Uh, which makes sense when you consider the context of him when he came into the league. And and, uh, at that time, underclassmen almost never were coming out early in the draft. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, it was kind of like a lean on what I'm familiar with scenario. And it is in some cases it worked. Tayshaun Prince was uh, a senior uh, when he entered the draft and I, don't mean like walking with a cane. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mateen Cleaves, also a senior and a local guy. Brian Cardinal, uh, senior. Um, Rodney White was a freshman, and he's the one who only played four years in the league. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he seemed to kind of very quickly come upon his draft approach and kind of looking for guys that I think in his opinion were maybe a little closer to contributing right away um, while taking kind of bigger swings at larger wings when he had higher picks. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. I definitely find that something looking into, cause I did not get the correlation there, especially when you say a white, a Cleves, like what kind of player were they? Like, what do you think, they brought to the table as centerpieces that, I mean, Cleves, I knew uh, some of college, Michigan State, you know, some of that, watching, just being aware of that, yes. And you even, I had in the notes that, hey, listen, it was a little bit of a, um, 
hey, hometown deal. You know what I mean? Like, why It's not? a win the press conference move. There you go. You draft Mateen Cleaves, you get a lot of goodwill with your fan base. Which is, which is great. The only problem, unfortunately, he's also got 3.6 points, 1.9 assists, and 39% shooting over there six seasons. There is that. Seasons. There is that, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, you said a national champion, all-American, like, boom. You know, that did happen. Um, also, I mean, not to hold this against him, but the 2000 draft class was pretty rough. I mean, mind you, you know, he could have went and possibly had Hidu Turkoglu. I think that would have mm-hmm. been a nice fit. Quentin Richardson might have been a nice fit. Even, like, Mo Peterson might have worked. You know? Yep. Like, given... Those guys who were available when he drafted Cleves, I would love. I have a type though. I would like Desmond Mason or Deshaun Stevenson, but like whatever. The point. Those being, guys. Those guys weren't from Michigan. They weren't yeah, a yeah. local guy with a lot of uh, goodwill in the area. Up top, that's true. So it was. A, yeah, it was yeah. more of that kind of game behind the game type thing there. I mean, I, I think Mateen in college did. Uh, have a lot of success, obviously. So I, I don't think it was strictly because he was a local guy, but combine Mateen's collegiate success with the fact that he's a local guy uh, and and you're picking in a relatively weak draft class at the end of the lottery. I, yeah. I, I don't really fault Joe for taking Mateen there, um, but obviously there there were other options that, in hindsight, would have been a lot better. But I can see why he went with Mateen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that makes sense. But moving, I guess, from that, now we're kind of getting a little bit closer to the, the foundation of this team. Free agency, 2022, yep. 2002, 2002. 2002, you have a free agency signing and you have a trade. Chauncey Billups at Minnesota is signed as a free agent with Detroit. And then um, just a couple months later, Brian Cardinal, Jerry Stackhouse, and Rocco Varda are rerouted to the Washington Wizards for a current national championship uh, coach, <laughs> Hubert Davis, <laughs> Richard Hamilton, and Bobby Simmons. Let's kind of talk about that here for a second. I guess we could kind of start with free agency and then your uh, initial thoughts on Chauncey Blips arriving in Detroit. Yeah, so at the time, Chauncey was 26 years old, um, had played for five years with four separate teams, um, had a a pretty solid stretch with the Minnesota Timberwolves prior to signing with Detroit. Uh, But he hadn't really established himself. And remember Chauncey was the number three overall pick in the 90. What? 96. No, 97, 97, 97. Yeah. The Tim Duncan draft. Yeah. There it is. He was the second consolation prize. um, (laughs) (laughs) And horn. Um, (laughs) And Chauncey would, go on to become a five-time all-star, a three-time all-NBA player, a two-time all-defensive player, and a finals MVP with the Pistons. And here's a fun little thing. Chauncey Billups, six foot three, 200 ish pounds. Wow. Wow. <laughs> he has a type. <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe's maybe a little fond of the mirror. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that was the, the second key piece. And then the, the Wizards trade was really interesting because uh, the, the team had, I think, won 50 games um, with Stackhouse as like the primary guy uh, post-Grant. Um, it, but they decided to pivot 
uh, as Stackhouse had about one year left on his contract and, and he was making a pretty nice amount of money and he was about to make a lot more uh, in over a year. And he was 27 years old, two-time All-Star with the Pistons, averaged over 23 points a game, about four rebounds and four and a half assists. Um, But he was 27 and going to cost a lot more money, and he's very much an on-ball player. Um, And in Rip Hamilton, who had just completed year three, he was only 23 years old. He'd increased his scoring in each season so far. Uh, last season, full season with the Wizards, uh, averaged over 20 points per game and, and was more of an off-ball scorer that maybe fit a little bit better mm-hmm. with somebody like a Chauncey Billups, you know? Um, so it, it was one of those interesting moves that in theory you're sending out the the more established quote unquote better player yeah but you're bringing in a younger piece that can hopefully fit with Ben Wallace, Chauncey and Tayshon Prince um and kind of form a cohesive uh unit yeah it was kind of the beginning of that nucleus there he kind of was an uh, integral part of that it's funny um, you bring in that Detroit side, it reminded me of a book, I'm sure you've read it as well, um, by Michael Leahy, When Nothing Else Matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it covered the Jordan years with Washington from 2001 to 2003. And the book, I wasn't actually the biggest fan of it. But, like, I did like some of the analysis it gave in the front office side. Because um, Jordan was being a big part of constructing that roster. Um, he also said Doug Collins as well. And what was interesting is that Rip, Rip Hamilton was a young guy, you know, really trying to think of himself as a superstar in this league, trying to build on that. But from Jordan's side, it's like, listen, he's not really that great at creating his own shot. I can't do all of it myself, especially wearing down like I am. So I need someone like a stack to come in there and get buckets, someone who's durable, someone who's not going to shy away from contact. Like, it was a big thing about how, like, Rip is nice coming off screens, you know, being a shooter. Like, that's great. But I need someone that's going to be able to pull with me. And it, it was just what you thought. Like, Sack also was older, kind of fit what mm-hmm. Jordan was probably looking for, his Pippen, if you will, yep. in that way. Then he wanted to be a mentor at that point in time. I mean, Jordan's 38, you know? He wasn't looking at that point to be um, taking people under his wing like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So Stack was someone who, in his mind, would work with him in that way, be that, that second guy. And then for Detroit, again, much like that Orlando trade, looking at it, you get one team who wants an established star, we got you. Get another team who wants a guy who can be good, you know, and potentially be a part of this growing nucleus. We got that. And then it turns out both teams got what they're looking for. I mean, Washington, Jordan retired the next year, didn't work out anyway. And then as it turned out for um, Detroit, like you said, Rip would spend almost the next decade there nearly. Yep. So definitely big there on both of those moves. And honestly, Richard Hamilton basically became the core of the Detroit Piston offense. And it's something you and I have discussed before, and we'll definitely talk about more in the future, which is off ball shot creation actually being the foundation of some uh, conference finalist and finals appearance teams. Shout out to Reggie Miller, too. (laughs) Um, And so by doing that move, saved himself a little bit of money, probably long term for a guy who's getting a little older than he probably wanted while setting up a, a key component of the offense to pair with that defense that he was trying to build. 
Yep. And that's interesting how you brought that up. It's another parallel to some other team construction stuff that I'm excited to explore with you. Um, I wasn't even aware of that identity of, hey, this all-ball shot creation thing, pretty big to a lot of dynastic teams out there. So Mm -hmm. definitely. But moving on to um, some more in between. Again, we're getting close to that championship year. We got some more draft stuff. Uh, Rodney White, we just talked about a minute ago, traded to Denver for Menke Batir. Hope I said that right. Don Reed in a 2004 first-round draft pick that would become Josh Smith. Then, not even two days later, we reroute Batir. He goes to the Spurs for a 2003 second-round draft pick for Andreas Galanadikis. There we go. That's the best I've done there. Thank you, Josh. Um, I'm going to throw it to you again because this is the first time that we see uh, that first-round pick. Again, the highest he'd had, barely a year, already gone for pieces that don't factor in. The funny thing is, this is the second time that uh, of his lotto picks mm-hmm. that he'd moved them after their rookie season. Really? Yeah, because he traded Mateen Cleves oh, after his rookie season for a package that included John Barry from the Kings and uh, what wound up becoming a 2003 first round pick. Uh, which wound up becoming Carlos Delfino. Um, so, and, and we'll see this a little later too. Joe has this interesting uh, thing where he's willing to move off his early, his own draft picks. Um, that doesn't really happen that often in this league, uh, in part because it's tied into your ego. Like, hey, this is my guy. I made the choice on this guy. Most teams do not give up on somebody that they selected high early uh, unless they're really winning the, the, the deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you heard from Corbin (laughs) announcing that deal, they did not win the Rodney white deal. (laughs) Um, They did not win uh, the, the Mateen Cleaves deal, even though John Barry was, and Delfino wound up, I guess you could say they ultimately won it, but um yeah, it's an interesting thing where could this mean that Joe is maybe quick to be impatient with younger players not being as successful early on as he had hoped? Or is he just avoiding sunk cost fallacy? I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Where do you tend to lean on that? I think it, it it's probably, I'll say like, 65% uh, sunk cost uh, avoidance and 35% impatience um, because Mateen had a really bad rookie year. Rodney White did not do very well. Um, and later on, some of the other moves that he'll, he'll make with draft picks, you see kind of a similar process. Um I always give credit to people who avoid the sunk cost fallacy. Like I said, this is a very uncommon thing in the NBA and in the sports world in general. Uh, There's a lot of built in, like I selected this person or like, this was my choice. He's my, yeah, exactly. He's my guy, which is why when you see um, a team change the coaching staff, the front office staff, and there's a, a player that was maybe selected a draft or two ago who's kind of now a, what we call a basketball orphan. The the people who are now in charge don't necessarily have that same connection to mm. that guy, which it's, can lead to the second draft candidate. There you go. 
you 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 said that a few times. Uh, that's a great breakdown. Of that. I was gonna say I'm not I'm not a linear example of this, but I remember because I was reading the Players Tribune piece. I think um, we said it a few times, but not again. Not a perfect example. Caesar McCollum said, "Hey, mm-hmm. when Neil O'Shea, the guy who drafted me, was gone, I knew the writing was on the wall." Because yep. I've been in trade rumors the entire time, but as long as Neil was there, I knew it was going to be trade. That was my guy. So as another guy comes in, even if he's in that same tree, he's not that guy. I don't have a relation with you in that way. I'm expendable. And that was the case there. So, but yes, a lot of that second draft, you, you name it, and it's probably been there, um, where that guy no longer fits because he wasn't part of that original regime. So mm-hmm. now you're the odd duck. Yep. Really good point there. Thank you for bringing that out for sure. Um so then we get to, like, I guess, really, we're, we're, we're finally here on the precipice of the formation of this championship roster. Um, we have this big trade that goes down February 19th, 2004. Three-teamer. Pistons trade Chuck Yakins. Lindsey Hunter, 2004 first-round draft pick that became Tony Allen to the Celtics. The Pistons trade um, uh, Zejo Rabraka, Bob Shura, and a 2004 first-round draft pick, the one they got that became Josh Smith. That's traded to Atlanta, which is how you know Atlanta gets Josh Smith. In exchange, the Atlanta Hawks trade Rasheed Wallace, the big guy, to Detroit. And the Celtics trade Chris Mills to the Hawks. And Mike James goes to the Pistons. A lot of other tertiary pieces there. The big one, of course, Chuck Yakins, Lindsey Hunter, 2004 first-round pick gone. Then you have the big guy in Rasheed Wallace coming over. So you get a couple rotation pieces and a first-rounder gone for someone who will be the, the anchor. Um, well, not the anchor, but the secondary anchor, I'd say, to your defense alongside Ben Wallace and someone who's low-post scoring and three-point shooting really opened up a lot for Detroit. So let's talk about this because from this trade, Josh, you do get these championships and we're going to, this kind of signals the end of our formation phase. Yep. And now we're into our cultivating maintaining phase. Yep. This was the, what I call the keystone piece. Mm. Uh, Rashid, you put in the keystone piece for anybody who does arch work, I guess <laughs> you put in the <laughs> keystone piece and then all the other pieces can stay in place. Uh, and, and everything kind of fits. Um, and Rashid was really the perfect elevate guy for this core. Um, his ability to kind of space and provide offensive value covered up some of the deficiencies in Ben Wallace's game. Uh, the fact that Sheed could, uh, defend a little further out on the perimeter as well. Um, and protect the rim really meant that you had two high level, uh, defensive anchors, like Corbin said. Um, you throw in Tayshon Prince on the wing with his length, uh, quickness, and basketball understanding and decision making. You have a killer defensive front line. Like, just good luck scoring on that defensive front line. What's happening? Yeah. And, and then Chauncey and to a lesser extent, Rip, also really good defenders. Like, Maybe not like the greatest defenders ever at their position, but like hold their own. really good team defenders. And and right there, you just solidify this this great, strong core where everybody kind of complements and uplifts each other. Mm. So it was definitely one of those uh, cores uh, somewhat similar uh, to the other team that everyone calls the exception to the rule the 2011 uh, Mavs is, you know, that there are, there are great individual pieces within there, but really the, the whole, the sum is way greater than the whole of each part. Um, And and this team might be the best example of that type of team building. Okay. 
Okay, I like that. Wow. And you brought it up like this, this all together. This was the, the in my mind, like the spark. You had everything kind yes. of building. You had a deep playoff run 2003. Well, this is the catalyst of what eventually moves to being that championship later that year, 2004. The Pistons beat my Lakers in five, uh, five games, ending that Shaq Kobe dynasty, uh, putting the nail in the coffin there. 2005 comes around. Um, they end up making the finals again. They lose a tough seven game series to the Santana Spurs. Offensive yep. of that series was rough, but had some highlight moments. Shout out to Manu Ginobili. There you go. Amazing. Ginobili! Um, I love Manu too. Uh, we, we're also glossing over. We are. Though, perhaps. I just one thought of, about like, it. The biggest. Yep. The biggest knocks on Joe Dumars, yep. which Thank was you. the 2003 draft class. One of the greatest draft classes of all time where something happened. Carmelo Anthony, who was, uh, you know, uh, just coming off of an NCAA championship as a freshman, uh, elite score. Um, you have Dwayne Wade, you have Chris Bosch, you have three future Hall of Famers still on deck, and Joe Dumars drafts Darko Milicic. Inspired, inspired selection. I'm, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna put you in a tough spot here, or maybe it's not. Okay. But getting your head here, getting in your head, Josh. This has been kind of litigated and talked about. Why do yep. you think Joe Dumars went the way he did? Because we know the talent of Carmelo. This was no, oh yeah, secret back then. We knew what Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh brought to the table. Whether or not you won them second, we knew what they brought. Like, mm-hmm. why do you think Joe Dumars, from a philosophical standpoint, went with Darko Milicic second overall? So two two core things. One, we, we talked about this when we talked about Isaiah Thomas, the mm-hmm. secret, right? The, the reason why the bad boy Pistons ascended to dominance in the late 80s was because they actually traded away their high volume ISO post up focused scorer, Adrian Dantley, to open up more playing time for guys like John Sally and particularly Dennis Rodman. And at this point, they already have Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, and Tayshon Prince. Mm-hmm. Now, you could throw Carmelo in there, but at that point, the balance of being able to have a strong defense is definitely not there. True. Um, you could throw Dwayne Wade in there, but you already have Chauncey and Rip and, and like, you're probably not really that comfortable with playing rip at the three uh, behind Tayshawn. So there's like some minutes limits that kind of open up. If you're, if you're looking at Dwayne Wade, Um, although you probably should have still done that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, Chris Bosh would have made sense too, but uh, you got to remember at this time, they did not have Rasheed Wallace. So you're talking uh, this super talented draft class. And at the time, Darko had an insane amount of hype behind him. Uh, True story. Joe Dumars was at um, a gym and uh, heard basketball going on the other side of a curtain. Uh, (laughs) Turns out that Darko was actually having a one-on-none workout over there. Mm. And Darko, and we've heard this phrase before, he destroyed the chair in the one-on-none workout. Uh, wow. He was just doing drills and stuff. Fantastic workout. Utterly fantastic workout, Corbin. Like, <laughs> you can't question the quality of the workout. So at the time, 
you have an undersized center and Ben Wallace, no other kind of core bigs at that point. Uh, they had, uh, Okur, but I don't think he had come over, uh, as a rookie. I think he came over like a year later. Um, so the clearest route to additional value towards kind of that secret esque bad boys Pistons type team mm-hmm. was let's take this hyper skilled seven footer um, who probably would have gone number one if LeBron wasn't in this draft class, which is crazy to think probably about. would have uh, even over Carmelo. He probably would have. Wow. Um, that was how big the hype was. Uh, so it, it, there was a logic to it, mm-hmm. obviously. It, and then you compound it with having Larry Brown as the coach. Larry Brown is not going to play rookies very often, big minutes. Uh, and then you compound that with bringing in Rasheed Wallace. All of a sudden, there are no minutes for Darko to really develop. Uh, and then you throw in Corliss Williamson getting some minutes at the four. You throw in uh, Okur's minutes. And, and there's just no on-court minute development for Darko on this team that has legit and actual championship aspirations. Do you think had Darko been selected fifth that we look at him differently? I think maybe. I think Darko gets a bad rap. I I don't know if he would go on to be like an all-star or something, but like people forget Darko did have, and I don't know the the years off the top of my head, but at least like an eight or 10 year career, I think. Yeah. Um, He played like like, 2013. Yeah. Good defensive rotation big um he had some face-up skills some some shooting ability but larry brown basically wouldn't let him do that his first two seasons Mm -hmm. before the pistons traded him they traded one of their high lotto picks within two years of drafting him um again kind of a theme um but but yeah this is probably the biggest knock on Joe Dumars simply due to the careers that Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosch had. Definitely makes sense to, to kind of put the nail in the, in the coffin on that one for sure. Um, thank you for bringing out the context there <laughs> on the career of Darko because it's something that's, it's both nuanced and pretty simple in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like there's something there to dive into at the same time, like, come on now, it's, just, it's, it's Dwayne Wade, it's Carmelo. Like you make that work, you find a way, even though you like the talent, you reroute it, something. But like you said, like, there is something there to it. So I definitely do like um, the fact we brought that out. Now we're in the midst. This is in the transition now of this. You, you win a championship to 04. You make the finals 05. Conference finals still wait for you six, seven. Like you're still in the midst of this. Um, 2005, you have a draft where you select Jason Maxiel in the late first round, 26th. Not bad. Amir Johnson, who had a pretty serviceable career, second round, 56th pick. Not mm-hmm. bad either. Serviceable, rotation, defensive-minded, undersized kind of bigs. Both undersized bigs, like we said, not afraid of the undersized big. Although a little weird that he doubled up yeah, on undersized bigs in the draft class. Yeah, and neither of them were shooters. So yeah, and both. That said, uh, both of them had ten plus year careers. That's in the true. Yeah, Maxiel played ten, first eight with Detroit. Uh, Amir Johnson played fourteen years, and I think he was technically the last high schooler. Uh, to be drafted um, under the current, and, yeah. and uh, he played his first four years with Detroit. So, um, yeah, 
Yeah, it was pretty solid. And then after that, um, uh, Alex Acker was also drafted. No note there. Last pick, 2005 draft. Um, 2006, we talk about trading, of course. Um, that, that recent draft pick, Darko Milicic. Just shy of three years, boom, gone. Carlos Arroyo with him to Orlando Magic for Kelvin Cato and the 2007 first-round pick. That will become Rodney Stuckey, 6'3 guard. Are we kind of getting there? We kind of six three ish combo ah, guard, about two hundred pounds. There it is. Mm. You know, uh, another big thing happened that off season though, which was Ben Wallace walked to Chicago That's as a free agent. Um, that said, Ben was thirty one years old at the time, uh, and he wound up signing a sixty million dollar four year deal with the Bulls. And apparently the Pistons offered a four-year, $48 million deal, but also emphasized heavily that that was the best they could do. Which, I mean, here's the thing. On the one hand, yikes, like letting the foundation of your team go in that way. On the other hand, you know, it, it big, big Ben did not do very well after that. He had one good year in Chicago, one decent year rather in Chicago. Um, the rest of that was not good. Then he ended up going to Cleveland not being he was in fact one of the highlights of those veteran overpaid um past their prime vets that lebron kind of carried it just his career kind of spelled he still stuck around even to turn to detroit to end his career yep um in like 2011 2012 so like it was fine i think it was the right call even though it was rough at the moment yes yes exactly but but that's when the first kind of crack in the wall mm-hmm. of that team kind of started appearing. I would agree with that. Absolutely. This is where you first start to see some issues kind of come up um, because again, you've knocked out your anchor, even if he was no longer that guy, let's say for a cheaper deal or something, I wouldn't have minded it, but re- re- I think natural regression was starting to have his course. Yep. You know, big Ben's didn't happen in Detroit, but it was still happening whether or not he would have stayed, but this is mm-hmm. the first, okay. Gone from the equation. Um, I think Tony McDice came through, um yep yeah him around kind of stepping that void for a little bit different mm. type of player more offensive minded yes defensively yep. stout but not that kind of guy and a lot slower for knee injuries throughout the course of his career up to that point and and the pistons still made um i think two or three more yeah conference finals yep up to Dan's big ben yeah so you know, again, it, it probably was the right move, but it doesn't feel like the right move and probably was the start of things falling apart. And uh, just a reiteration, Rodney Stuckey was actually 6'5", not 6'3", but oh, same bad. kind of concept, 6'5", 200-ish pound combo guard, um, and, and they selected him f- with their first round pick, mm-hmm. 15th pick. In 2007, then they got Aaron Aflalo, shout out Oakland, uh, in the first round with the 27th pick, and Sammy Meha in the second round with the 57th pick. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm holding back a sneeze here. No, they did. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Aaron Aflalo, six foot five, 210 ish wing. Yep, that that happened. That happened. Now, yeah. In fact, we're kind of going. I feel as there's one move. I think we both know it's going to symbolize the end of this oh, yes. contention window. We are rapidly approaching that. We have so, one more. Uh-huh. The, the, uh, I'll, I'll put this out there. Three days before that happened, what we're about to talk about happened. I told my friends where I was working at the time, this is going to happen. 
I had no insider knowledge. I was just like, this, how everything fits together, this is going to happen. And then like three days later, my friends thought I was like basketball Nostradamus. Nostradamus in the building. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we, we talked about Rodney Stuck. You talked about Aaron Aflalo. Two guys had decent careers. Not a whole lot with um, Detroit. I think, uh, well, no, um, actually, Stucky played a bit with Detroit. Stucky played seven, his first seven years with Detroit before go, going Flalo. to Indiana. And then Aflalo, Detroit traded him two years after drafting him. Again, con- constant theme. Only this time was mostly for cap relief to okay. open up some cap space. And he which would becomes another consideration. Yep. Yep. Later. And we, yeah, we'll definitely go into that. Um, looking at Aaron Flalo, I mean, he would uh, eventually. 3-and-D with Denver, to have a, a little Played pretty well as, in Oak, uh, uh, Orlando. I was about to say, he would be like a, like a primary option for a horrible team in Orlando, but showcase yep. more offensive talent, and then find a way to not exactly ballot back down to role player status in Portland mm-hmm. and, and, and New York, and then, yeah. So yep. he definitely had a serviceable NBA career for sure, though. Um, yep. Now we get to one last draft deal, 2008. Um, real quick, we're just going to gloss over DJ White, late first round. Darren Washington, second round, 59th pick. Um, nothing really to note for either of those. Um, he eventually he would trade DJ White that same day to Seattle for Walter Sharp and Trent Plastid. So we're going to leave right there. Now, mm-hmm. this is the the nail in the coffin for the, yep. we didn't, maybe they didn't know it yet. But as we know, the let's go to work Detroit Pistons from 2003 to 2009, it. 2008, this was the official end. Not even the loss of Big Ben did it. This did it right here. Chauncey yep. Billups, Antonio Dice, and Chuck Sam. I think I said that right. To the Denver Nuggets, I think. Chuck Sam, Cheek Sam, C-H- Cheek. I think it's Cheek. C-H-E-I-K-H, Sam. There you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To the Denver Nuggets, for one player, if there was ever a question, he was the answer. Who ended with the Pistons? Oh, man. I'm just kidding. They traded Chauncey Dice and Sam <laughs> to the Denver Nuggets for Allen Iverson. <laughs> Take it away, John. Hall of Fame MVP player Allen Iverson. Go. There you go. <laughs> but, but yes, uh, at the at this point in time, Allen Iverson, who was an All Star the previous year in Denver, um, so I, I know a little bit behind the scenes of this because one okay. of my good mentors was in the front office of the Nuggets at the time. And uh, what happened was, I think in like 2007. Um, Carmelo Anthony got a DUI in the playoffs. And so a lot of teams called up the Denver front office and were like, Hey, you got to trade Mello. How about our crap? Uh, <laughs> and um, obviously n- they weren't going to trade Mello at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Pistons called and said, Hey, you know, we're, we really want Mello. And they were of course told no, but hey, we like some other people on your team. So if there's anybody on our team that you come to like, um, you know, keep in touch with us and like touch base and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So over the course of that year, uh, Rodney Stuckey was playing better. Uh, Rodney Stuckey had a particularly really good um, summer league mm. um, and, and like a good training camp. Uh, and Chauncey still had uh, a couple of seasons left on his contract. And at this point, Chauncey was getting up there in age. Um, and Allen Iverson had an expiring $20.8 million contract. 
Um, on top of it, he's Allen Iverson. He was just an all-star. So you would think, hey, you know, we plug Allen Iverson in. We're not going to miss too much. In fact, he'll probably produce more points than Chauncey would. Mm. Um, but this was, even at the time, it felt more like they weren't planning on keeping AI and it was more a chance to kind of create cap space and, and kind of build the next core. Um, and like you said, uh, if big Ben leaving was kind of the, the first crack in the wall, this is where the, the water started to come through pretty heavily and kind of expand the cracks. And uh, obviously Chauncey's from Colorado. Um, so he worked out great for the Denver Nuggets. Oh, perfect. Um, AI did not work out that great for the Pistons, but his contract expired, which gave them a whole mess of cap space, which is, I'm guessing, one of the things we'll talk about very shortly. Oh, oh, very much so. Very much so. And like looking at the Allen Iverson trade as it worked out, um, in a way, I guess it didn't. Like it did, and then it required effect of like getting butts and seats, like you said, expiring contract. Um, the Pistons, like you noted, being first in attendance even after that. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Well, they were first in attendance well, before. before too. So like, I know that was part of the reason why the Nuggets traded for AI in the first place. Um, but like Detroit already was killing it on attendance at the time. So it really did seem to be kind of focused on that expiring contract. Just trying to make the most of that more, more yep. so than not. And that makes sense. And then, I mean, as it turned out, uh, they finished third in the central division. They finished 39 and 43 um, as it was with um, this was at the time with Allen Iverson. So now we go to the draft where you um, with the 15th pick, the Pistons select Austin day um, with the 35th pick. They select Dewan Summers uh, one, two guys. I, well, one guy notable for having a decently length career about 10 years. Or so um, Jonas Drebko 39th pick again, Mm-hmm. You know, this is the thing with Joe Dumars hitting it with good on second rounders for the most part. And then even Chase Budinger, uh, second round 44th pick. In theory, from Arizona, sharp shooting big man. The idea was, well, forwardish, but the idea was sound. Even, I mean, this is the 44th pick in the second round. Also, they wound up trading Chase to yeah. Houston for a future pick. Yeah, but they- um, if you look at it, we, we said he liked bigger wings, right? Yeah. Austin Day, six foot 11. Uh, Dewan Summers, six foot eight. <laughs> Jonas Yurebko, six foot ten. Even Chase Buttinger, I believe, was six foot eight. And I think uh-huh. he was around that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you can kind of see there, there, there's a consistency in kind of how he looks at certain types of players. Yeah, the type of archetype he's looking for. Yeah, six seven two oh nine. So yep. that was Chase. He played for 2010, 2007, or sixteen. So. You know, saw a little scent there. But this is where we go from the draft. We've, again, identified the archetypes of players you're looking for. All these guys, shorter careers in Detroit, didn't really become of much, um, at least from this initial draft. Now we get free agency. Two big ones. Get the the, the mm-hmm. Ben and Charlie show. July 8th, 2009, Ben Gordon to Detroit. Free agency. 2009, July 9th, Charlie Villanueva to Detroit. Again, I... I'm going to throw this over to you, Josh, because the idea for me, this was like, as soon as he said we're doing Joe Dumars, the first thing that came to mind, the very first thing was not it was Prince, this free agency. It was not Darko. Exactly. It was this, it was this yep. 2009 free agency, mm-hmm. Charlie and Ben, like, like a combined 10 years, 96 mil for the yep. two of them. 
Like yep. that is, I don't even, let's, I don't even know what that is. I just want to throw it over to you. I want you to use the contextualization yeah. that you have to make some sense of this because <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, first off, Ben Gordon, six foot three, 200 ish pound combo guard. Just throwing that out there again. <laughs> um, no real reason, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, he signed a five-year, $55 million deal, uh, 26 years old at the time, uh, only wound up playing three years with Detroit. Um, this one was a little harder for me to understand because uh, they handed by trading Chauncey, they handed the keys to Rodney Stuckey. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the other thing is like right after they traded Chauncey, they extended Rip Hamilton's contract. So you're, you're talking, you have Rodney Stuckey, Rip Hamilton, and now you're signing Ben Gordon to a, a big deal. And again, you're not necessarily, you still have Tayshawn Prince at this point too. So you're not necessarily swapping, uh, like swapping Hamilton down. Do you put Hamilton on the bench? Do you give yeah. this guy that you're paying 11 million a year, which at the time was a nice, pretty nice chunk of change um to come off the bench um so it, it was kind of a, an, a questionable signing i will say in the context i looked at that free agency class um ben and charlie were probably the most productive early mid 20 year olds available in that draft in, in that, that draft. free agency class so like there's there's some logic there, but it also and Charlie, by the way, 24 years old, six foot eleven, uh, kind of a shooting big. Kind yeah, of. weird there. Uh-huh. More more like a reputation of a shooting big without necessarily being a high level shooting big. But he, he took the shots. Whether he made yeah, them or not, to us. He played out his contract with Detroit, at least. So they kept him around for all five years. But uh, I think the idea here was, you know, the core is aging out. The core is we've already lost. Ben Sheed signed with Boston in 08. Um, you, you know, we just traded Chauncey. We want to get a younger core in place and we want a core that kind of lines up with Rodney Stuckey. Mm-hmm. Now it's possible that the Richard Hamilton extension was also from a perspective of like, well, we'll maintain trade value. It's possible. Uh, could also be kind of a, uh, a career achievement type extension where, you you know, we love what you've done for our organization We'll add a little bit more. We probably will trade you at some point, but like, hey, we'll give you a little boost. Um, but yeah, uh, the idea was kind of like Stucky, Ben Gordon, Villanueva, and Tayshawn, and then we need to get our center. Which, yes, yes. This was, for me, I mean, looking at this this free agency class, it was funny that you brought up that there wasn't, the Pistons kind of cornered the market on the okay we're trying to get these youngish guys, you mm-hmm. know, to build a foundation. You look back at that free agency class. Other than that, I mean, maybe a Paul Millsap would have been nice, but other than that, you're like Jason yes. Kidd, Sean mm-hmm. Marion, Alan Iverson, uh, Andre Miller. I, I, all these guys are more on the back end than the front, you know? Yep. Uh, only the guy I probably would have been hopeful for was like a Trevor Reese. No, I uh, understand that he was even available. Um, we saw 2010 
that, you know, he went to another team and, and look what happened. So um, he's not a future player. Look at that. But anyways, uh, looking at what you said, you're looking at Mike Bibby. Guys like that, again, mm-hmm. back half of their career, in their prime sort of guys, but really on the back end of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, for Villanueva and, and, and Ben Gordon, you're in your prime. The problem is the prime wasn't super great. Um, I mean, Ben was pretty mean. good, but. Well, yeah, yeah. but I mean, okay, yeah, he wouldn't. Uh, let me let me not say that. It was good. If, if I know we're talking about the prime, yeah, because Chicago yeah, yeah. Ben, that was amazing. I don't think Detroit Ben was very good at all. I mean, no. it was solid, but like again, you, and you also have multiple players of the same archetype. Ben Gordon, yep. it's a younger Rip Hamilton in that sort of style. You know, mm-hmm. coming off of screens, yeah, a little bit off the dribble. I'd say Ben did more than than Rip. Yeah, yeah. But like, that's not his ideal thing. Like he was a shooter. You know, yeah. um, Charlie Villanueva, you're right, a shooter in theory. You know, mm-hmm. the guy that was getting touches in that way or wanted to in Detroit, it was just it was just not not a good look. Um, it didn't work out well. And the Pistons start slinking or slinking. They started slumping. <laughs> they should have slinked away. After good that. old slinky. Oh, you know. Yeah, how, yeah exactly. So, yeah, now I'm just picturing a slinky slowly going downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> like end over end that it works like it works decline. yes this is like the time you, you had it in your head already you Thank were already you. thinking wow. slinky, so I, it's all good there it is i didn't even realize that i mean the pistons <laughs> would finish 27 and 55th um uh, 27 and 55 they finished fifth in the nba central division um offensive rate defensive rating not great just not great all around so then guess what we're back in the draft great guess what we're back in this kind of uh, let's just kind of go into it a little bit here. So you get, you get, um, you, you make the signings there for Ben and Charlie. Now we're back in the lottery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause 2755. Great. Now we're 2010. And we're going to talk about 2010 draft for another GM later in the future. Mm-hmm. Very excited about that. What, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> this 2010 draft will be discussed ad nauseum in the future. So I'm not going to want to too now, too much now, but suffice it to say that with the seventh pick, Greg Monroe goes to Detroit. I'm going to go on a limb and say that there was maybe potentially better fits down the line, but as you gave such a beautiful lead, I'm going to throw it back to you, Josh, not to be, it was noticed by me. You said that with this new core, Detroit needed a what? Center. There you go. Yep. <laughs> so, so here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Greg Monroe's not a bad player. Um, 6'11", sophomore, big, Wound up uh, having a nine-year career. He's still in Utah still, now. He's still around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, nine years just being from when he was drafted to yeah. here, basically. <laughs> uh, um, and he spent his first five in Detroit. But mm. the interesting thing is post uh, Dumars and, and rather post the final moves of Joe Dumars, um, which we'll get to uh, – Greg Monroe was like the first bigger name draft pick who actually rejected a contract extension offer in order to sign the qualifying offer just so that they could hit unrestricted free agency because he did not want to be with that team anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So obviously that's down the line, but throwing it out there, like the, the Greg Monroe thing, ultimately not a great idea. Didn't no. work out for either party. No, it yeah. did not. It did not. Especially when, again, you had signings you made, but you have a pair of talented forwards going nine and ten, in Gordon yep. Hayward and Paul George just after. Yep. Which, yep. like, wow. Like, I mean, looking back on it and the talent that they gave and how well they played. Like, yes, you had a solid career from Greg Monroe, still getting ten days and whatnot. But guess what? I mean, 
you've had injury history to Gordon Hayward and to a lesser extent, Paul George. Both those guys are locked. You know what I mean? Still mm-hmm. very high level of play. So that is unfortunate there. Moving on from that, now we are well into, okay, we are in the midst of a rebuild. How can we yep. get out? Can we get out? And this is where we find with Joe Dumars, maybe not. This is the answer. I don't know. Let's go into the next year's draft. Oterical White, second round pick, 36 shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot there going on, unfortunately. Fine. 2011, we're back. Lottery, baby. Why? Because, you know, that 2010 season did not go as planned. Another year in the lottery. The new year. core, not coring. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't working the way they thought it would. They finished 30 and 52. Slight improvement, three games, not what they were looking for. So what? You're back in the draft again. Brandon Knight goes eighth overall in 2011. Kyle Singler, 33rd. Um, Vernon Macklin, 52nd. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Brandon Knight? I mean, much maligned Detroit career, unfortunately, at least that first stint. Not for reasons yeah. of his own. It was really just because of getting dunked on by DeAndre Jordan, really. Yeah, which actually got. I give massive kudos to Brandon Knight for jumping. He probably yep. shouldn't have. No. But I actually like that he jumped. Like, like kudos, sir. Mm-hmm. My hat's off to you. There you go. Um, also, six-foot-two combo guard. There we are. Between six two and six five, man. Yep. There's a sweet that, spot that there. range. That range, like middle size point guards, <laughs> it's, who it's are right more there. combo guards than point guards. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah. did you like that selection of Brandon Knight there? I mean, mind you, it's not like 2011 after Brandon Knight. Only guys I'm really seeing is like a Kemba Walker, obviously like Clay Thompson. Um, uh, yeah, Leonard. I, I'll take the clay. I'll take the clay. You'll take, I'll take the, clay. the clay every time. Right. Uh, I mean, a guy named Kawhi Leonard. Just yeah. a little bit. He's in there, 15. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it, you know, like, I, I get it. Um, it. It kind of made sense. Uh, at this point, the, the, the bloom on the rose of Rodney Stuckey being the new Chauncey Billups has fallen off a bit. What? Um, yeah. Um, but Brandon, I can also play with Rodney Stuckey and Ben Gordon. And Richard Hamilton. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing you can kind of see, and, and I think this is the the really interesting conundrum with Joe Dumars with the Pistons, is that first core was defense first, right? Mm-hmm. They had enough offensive talent to, to make it work, but that was a defense first. Every single person that they drafted and uh, signed in free agency, offense first, very heavily offensive first. Very true. You have Stucky offensive first. Ben Gordon, offensive first. Charlie Villanueva, offensive first. Greg Monroe, offensive first. Um, so you go away from the core identity that worked so well, got you to all those conference finals and, and finals appearances and a championship. And you either don't learn that lesson that like, Hey, maybe we should focus on building a coherent identity that uh, we can really hone in on. Um, And instead let's get a bunch of guys who like to take shots, Mm -hmm. shots, 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 shots. (laughs) (laughs) But but absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's exactly what it turned out being. And I like the way you said that subtle shift, not really subtle, actually, but in ideology from, okay, defensive guys that like we can generate enough offense to keep going to offensive guys, can we clamor together enough defense to stay afloat? Turns yep. out, no. I see a lot of similarities between that and my 2022 LA Lakers, but we're not going to talk about that too much. Um, just a little bit there. <laughs> so you said it, and again, back in the lottery, um, 
you know, another the three straight years now, mind you, that we're here. Yep. In the midst of this, guess what? Ben Gorn is finally jettisoned. Unfortunately, takes a 2014 first round draft pick as well to get off that contract again, saving money, like you said. Um, yep. However, you're trying to do that and get an expiring. So you do that. Ben Gordon, 2014 first rounder, that became Noah Vonley, goes to Charlotte for Are You Ready for Maggetti? Corey Maggetti mm-hmm. comes to Detroit. There it Bad is. Bad porn himself. Uh, there you go. <laughs> and then uh, that same year, again, another, not even two days later, NBA draft time. Andre yep. Drummond, another big, even though you have Greg Monroe, by the way. But still, another big first round, ninth pick. Then you actually stumble again into really good town in the second round. <laughs> Multiple time all star Chris Middleton, 39th yep. overall. And then Kim English, uh, not a big note there, but 44th overall in that 2012 draft pick. So, again, this draft, again, encompasses why are you swinging where you are with the first-round pick? Okay, but, man, oh, man, what a find late in the second. Oh, yeah. And, and again, Chris Middleton, a bigger wing, a 6-7 yep. wing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you said um, it. Played with the ball a little bit. Offensive initiation. Could shoot it, obviously. Yep. Yeah, he has a type. And got to give uh, – Andre Drummond, a shout out. One of the best rebounders. Um, I don't like a lot of the rest, but hey, great rebounder. Um, And then in January of 2013, we see kind of the last piece of that core moved. And this time it's also for a cap saving reason where the Pistons were part of a three-team trade. Really, it was kind of like a two-team trade that the Pistons then kind of glued themselves onto at the end, um, where they, the Pistons traded Austin Day and Tayshaun Prince to the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, and the Memphis Grizzlies traded Jose Calderon to the Pistons, and they had just acquired Jose Calderon for Rudy Gay and Hamad Hamed uh, Haddadi. Um, Yep. So that that deal that sent Rudy Gay to the Raptors also wound up getting Jose Calderon uh, and his expiring contract to the Pistons, um, where the goal was really to clear a lot of cap space for a particular player. Mm, mm. And there you go with that again. Another another um, theme in this kind of methodology we've seen from him in terms of moving on. I'd like to say that was ironically the last piece to go a rip Hamilton was unkind of ceremoniously waived by mm-hmm. Detroit um, back in 2011 signed with the bulls would go yep. over there. And I think he actually returned um, to the, yeah, I think a couple of them wound up. Yeah. Returning. I, yeah. Because um, rip, well, rip, I think did obviously Ben Wallace did Chauncey mm-hmm. Billups did. I don't know yep. if Tayshawn Prince did. Yeah, I don't know about Tayshawn. I think and he finished like, with Minnesota. Uh, like, she'd retired. With the Knicks like, at the end. Yeah, yeah, after Celtics and Knicks. Yeah, actually, no, ironically enough, um, he did. So, so yeah. um, Tayshawn was with Detroit, went to Memphis, then Boston, then back to Detroit. But then yeah. he signed a one-year deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that finished it. Yep. So that's funny how many of these other let's go to work Pistons ended up later returning to Detroit, probably more for veteran leadership, but still returning because the team they built a legacy with. A lot of these guys were guys who bounced around multiple teams, and this was their one home, their one they were best known for. Yep. So it was only fitting they would go back to that. But it was more of a legacy players thing than anything else. Going back to Joe Dumars, we're kind of reaching the tail end here. Um, obviously, last seen, year. Yep. His last year. Yep. If you haven't noticed, the last, like, 10 to 12 minutes or so, we've just been discussing lottery picks because the Pistons have mm-hmm. been mired in that. They have not been able to dig themselves out of that hole. 
just didn't happen. So now you discuss that trade, the three-team trade, getting rid of the last piece of the let's go to our Pistons. Now we have draft again, lottery again, more in that seven to nine range. Pistons mm-hmm. were big on that over the last three years, four years. But Contavious Caldwell Pope is selected eighth overall. Tony Mitchell taking with the 37th pick and Peyton Siva taking 56 overall. Um, again, you go at a 6'5 wing, more in that 6'2 to 6'5 spectrum. Mm-hmm. Shooter, boom. First four of his career uh, so far, well, he might go back, but has been with Detroit. Like you said, Josh, still early. He's a Washington guy now, but yep. want to ring with the Lakers, bam, 3 and D kind of guy. Uh, Mitchell and, and, and Siva, I, you know, they were there. They had a career um, short, but they, they were drafted as well. Uh, I want you to go after you were talking about um, the you were talking about going after um, Josh Smith because that's the big free that agency signing. This one goes right next to Josh. This one goes right next to me, the Ben and Charlie show. Yeah, yeah. In terms of a free agency swing going terribly wrong with the pick that you actually had. Yeah, and I mean, apparently, Mars uh-huh. went like hard after Josh Smith too, like five hour meeting and uh, like Josh Smith felt very uh, uh, oh, an overwhelming sense of uh, affection and attention from the Detroit Pistons and Joe Dumars um, and at the time Josh Smith was 28 years old not a shooter at all <laughs> no. um, which you don't need to be a shooter to be a good player Josh Smith was a good player but you're talking about pairing the 6'9 Josh Smith with the 6'11 Greg Monroe and who Andre can't Drummond. shoot mm-hmm. and the 6'11 Andre Drummond who can't shoot, uh, which was always not going to really work very well. No, their combined um, range was what, nine feet, if that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they signed uh, Josh Smith to a four-year $54 million deal. And this worked out horribly for them. I mean, Joe didn't get to see the end of this, um, but halfway uh, partway through year two, the Pistons Mm -hmm. actually wound up using the stretch provision on this contract. So year two, the first year with Josh Smith was so bad that despite giving him a four year, $54 million deal, they opted to use the stretch provision and put a $5.4 million cap hit on each season up through the uh, 1920 season. Wow. So it was a really, really bad move. And this was also partly what led to Greg Monroe, like we said earlier, opting to take the qualifying offer to become an unrestricted free agency uh, free agent instead of uh, having his career potentially tied to having to play with Josh Smith and Andre Drummond. Yeah, that's very, very, the ramifications of that are severe. Um, everyone knew at the moment it didn't work out. They didn't work out. I laughed because I was like, okay, 2K, let's play with it. See if we can make it work. We couldn't. <laughs> all I, the rebounds are ours. All the rebounds, exactly. <laughs> and like that wasn't even ultimately true. They made have the many breaks. There's so many videos of Josh pulling up from three, playing like a small forward that he wasn't. Well, they, they probably did get a lot of rebounds because they were missing a lot of shots too. Very true. Very true. Very true. They were, they were the bricklayer society out there. Um, <laughs> and then finally we have our last move of Dumar's tenure, um, an iconic one. I'd like to throw it to you, Josh, to close us out here. Yeah. So on July 31st, 2013, in his final big move before he was let go, uh, Joe Dumar's traded Brandon Knight, 
I'm going to butcher this name so badly. Uh, Vyacheslav <laughs> Kravstov and uh-huh. Chris Middleton. Uh, again, this was like two years after drafting Chris Middleton. Uh, one year after drafting Chris Middleton, actually. Wow. Um, so, again, quick turnaround on trading. And, and two years after drafting uh, Brandon Knight, I think. Or, yeah. Um, for Brandon Jennings uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks. So uh, at the time, it was known as the Brandon Jennings deal. It is now decidedly known as the Middleton deal. Um, and no knock against Brandon Jennings, solid player. Um, and, and at the time, it's not like Chris Middleton had been super productive as a rookie. Um, but this obviously did not work out whatsoever for Detroit. No, this was a horrific trade um, just because of what Chris Middleton became. Not so much Brandon Jennings, but that team was just an ill-fitted team yep. around. There was nothing saving that, unfortunately, um, least of all Brandon Jennings. And, yeah, this was this was his kind of last-ditch effort to cobble together a half-decent competitive team from two lottery picks at power forward, at, at center, I mean. One playing power forward, one playing center. One big free agency signing, playing small forward, miscast when he should be power forward. Then you bring in a point guard, trading the one wing that might have actually worked with that unit. Um, it, it just didn't work t- well together. And yeah, the end of his um, tenure was, of course, 2014. Um, the last, very last thing he did was fire his coaching. That's a totally different story. He fired Mo Cheeks, um, his head coach, before he um, was let go just a couple months later. Um, but that was it. And, and honestly, the coaching, that's a whole... Another mm-hmm. story. We didn't even go into it too much. Uh, Mo Cheeks. Uh, you had Lawrence Frank, a uh, great exec, probably not the best coach at the time. It's been a lot. It, it was a lot. Um, you, interim coaches. It was a lot there. But before we close this out, we're, we're reached the end of our deep dive dissertation into um, <laughs> the, 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 the career of Joe Dumars from an executive. What we, we talked about the prevailing theme. So I want to do more of a like sum up kind of wrap up view. When you think of Joe, with these pistons is it someone who had a good methodology that just didn't work out for him in later years did he kind of catch lightning in the bottle with these great moves that formed this core and then went away from that do you think that he had i mean obviously he had things he liked he had undersized bigs he had you know jumbo size playmaker six two to six five different areas there boom we see that these these types of um I guess qualities that he looked for in players and prospects, great identifying draft talent in later first round, second round than he was ascertaining that in the lottery, particularly between, you know, anywhere between two and nine, like not too great there. Looking at all of that, taking on the summation, you look at Isaiah Thomas. Okay. You know what? He tried to do the bad boys Pistons, at least from the guard standpoint, didn't work out too well, overpay. Like we can put a pin on Isaiah Thomas. Let's put a pin on Joe Dumars. I want to get your like final take on him, sir. Yeah. So I think what it was is a new executive mm-hmm. initially starts out leaning on what they know personally, mm-hmm. but they have experience to be successful. Hence kind of like, okay, well uh, I'm, I'm going to go defensive first uh, and I'm going to build a team that's, greater than the sum of its parts okay and and then i think over time as you become more experienced as a gm um and and this is just 
100% true. This is, this is a fact of life in the NBA mm. is um, the, the focus on most draft picks, free agent signings and trades is a player who can get you buckets. Yeah. That's what it is. It's what everyone thinks means good basketball player or not. Uh, it's why it took Ben Wallace so long to get into the hall of fame when he should have been a first ballot hall of famer because mm-hmm. dude did not score. Um, I, I think over time, I don't want to make it sound like the well was poisoned, but, but kind <laughs> of, um, like over time, I think, you know, uh, he, he really kind of started to lean into what I'm guessing everybody was telling him mm. uh, and, and like, uh, you know, getting more into like, Hey, you know, like Stucky can really score. Ben Gordon, really good score. Charlie Villanueva could score. Greg mm-hmm. Monroe can score. Um, and kind of losing sight of what had worked. Um, and I think that this also speaks to two kind of core lessons that I think we can take away from this is that obviously it helps having a high profile shot creating talent in the NBA. We know this helps. We, we know it helps. Um, but sometimes I think teams are so eager to target those types of players, even if those types of players aren't actually likely to be good at that particular element to the point where like, Hey, you could be a franchise caliber player. A lot of them turn out like uh, Jordan Clarkson, uh, you know, solid player, yeah. six man of the year, but like, not somebody that you build your franchise around. Um, and in the process, you miss out on doing exactly what these Pistons did. They discovered an identity and they encouraged that identity. They nurtured that identity in how they built the team. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and like, I think we, we can learn something from that. And then the other one is that... Um, I think this is a lesson that a lot of teams struggle with. And admittedly, it's harder and harder as we get into further salary cap stuff uh, over the years. But you need to develop a pipeline of younger talent into your rotation who can slowly take over for your age and core mm. uh, the only two teams that i remember doing this at a very high level were both dynasties and they were the boston celtics all throughout red Auerbach's uh from his career um he always had something like when when bill Sharman's going out guess what we got sam jones yeah you know when like yeah. he's coming out we got casey um you know coming up behind bird and stuff you, you, you know we have uh, Lewis and, and, um, you know, uh, unfortunately darn you cocaine, but you know, bias, and and bias Lewis yeah, have been yeah. the new guys. Um, and then the other team is San Antonio. You have, you know, Tim Duncan, and then you have a younger Tony Parker and a younger Manu Ginobili taking over some of the responsibilities that David Robinson, as he ages up, mm-hmm. You know, as Tim and Tony and Manu age up, here comes Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I, I think, the, mm, oh, sorry. We don't, we don't see this 
Awesome. awesome. And, and, and the Warriors are the hard, yeah. best team, I think, trying to replicate that right now. Yeah. You know, having a Jonathan Kaminga, having a Moses That's Moody, exactly. having a Jordan Poole at the same time that you have Clay, Steph, Draymond. Again, that type of bridge. You said it. Usually, if you're going to be a dynasty, there's going to be a couple of years you're going to be down because you weren't yep. building that pipeline. If anything, you were going the opposite direction in the LeBron James mode of mm-hmm. selling all our future assets to make the most of what we have right now. Who cares about the future? I care about now. But then the problem yep. being, of course, there's always the fallout. Yep. That was a really good look, uh, Josh, at this analysis of Joe Dumars. I really appreciate taking the time with you as always to do this. This was a blast. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess we should look at, you know, what? I'm just going to, I'm not going to spin the wheel. I'm going to say, <laughs> what, let's just do what, what year, what, what, what team, what team are you most interested in? I'll let you pick. Team. Uh, well, mm. what, what team, what, what, yeah, like which, which one are you looking at? I could spin a wheel real quick and I could just spin on a year and then we could just pick the GM close to the year that we land on. Hmm. Well, so we did a bad one ultimately in Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. We did a mixed bag one. I think maybe we should do one that's a little more a positive one. And you know what? Oh, let's you pick it. Go on, let's do it. We we can we can stay with the Pistons theme. Let's go with my guy who I have a custom made GM jersey of him in my closet right now. Jack McCloskey with the Pistons who built the bad boy Pistons. We've talked all this stuff about the secret and everything. Yep. Let's review the guy who built that team. Well, there it is. I love it. I love it. Let's do it. Jack McCloskey will be the subject of our next GM deep dive. I'm already excited about this because and I'll, this I'll wear the jersey. Oh, <laughs> that's perfect. Take we're gonna take a pic of that. Use that as promo. It's gonna yep, be great. Yep. All right, y'all. Well, listen, Josh. Thank you so much for coming on. As always, you know I appreciate you. I'm 110. Like, let's keep making this a thing. I'm pumped. Uh, listen, y'all, you can find Josh. It's pretty easy. On Twitter at I'm gonna do off the top of my head again at two J nope totally messed it up at two Red J Earl there, there it is. you go at yep. two Red J Earl find Josh's work please check out contextualscouting.com as well um, yes yeah um, and uh, on contextual scouting go ahead and opt in on the left hand side because uh, there's some big stuff coming down the pipeline not too long from now that uh, I know Corbin is gonna be really excited about yep. and I'm really excited about and I'm doing a lot of work to get everything ready for that oh man i cannot absolutely cannot wait bro so definitely make sure you do it do a good job y'all check out contextual scouting as well um please and thank you for that um also check me out on twitter at corbin nba definitely appreciate any and all love that goes over there check out both my podcasts both my respective great groups i'm with on the lead sports media on twitter at the lead sm online the lead sm.com also check out um, sports ethos on Twitter at sports ethos online sports ethos.com. Pretty simple for all of that. So please make sure to do me a favor there. Um, until next time for Josh, for myself, you know, keep watching those transaction sheets and let's keep making those moves. All right, Josh. This has been a sports ethos presentation.